What is the future of work, and how will we develop a workforce capable of meeting the growing demands of our greatest challenges while also providing pathways to all learners? We're thrilled to be supporting the World of Work Summit, which will highlight some of the amazing work being done in Cajon Valley School District and beyond from March 23rd to 25th in San Diego. Come to learn what schools, districts, and policy can do to build an equitable and effective pathway for the world of work. Register today at the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Nate McLennan, and I will be hosting this conversation today. So many school models are prescriptive and compliance-based, yet the world is becoming more complex, more uncertain, and even more mutual. We're dependent on one another to solve really hard challenges. Much of our thinking at Getting Smart is how to better connect what happens in school to what happens in the world and how every young person deserves the opportunity to have and contribute to a better future for all. Innovative schools are building profiles of a learner or graduate and then wrapping these engaging real-world projects around these profiles. They're learner-centered with voice, choice, and agency built into the experience, along with developing the core and technical skills to apply to this purposeful work. The school models the real world. So today, I'm super excited to speak with Dr. Julie Evans, who's the CEO of Project Tomorrow and the author of the recently released book, Free Agent Learning. Project Tomorrow runs Speak Up, which routinely surveys young people about their perceptions and opinions on school. She's a deep believer in listening to learners and providing agency for their learning. So welcome, Julie. I'm excited to have you today. It's great to be here, Nate. Thanks so much for inviting me. All right. So we are talking a lot about learning. So thinking about you as a learner and not necessarily as an author right now or a CEO, what is something you're learning right now? Well, you know, Nate, I've been talking a lot about the book. And so some of my most recent learnings really have to do with what's happening in schools and districts in terms of having a new awakening about the importance of listening to the ideas of students, which absolutely tickles my heart, to be honest with you. So, so many new ideas about what people are thinking about to engage students in learning, to uh, bring their skills to the forefront, to really listen to their ideas. And so I think that's really encouraging. So I've been super excited about learning about that lately. Yeah, it's really interesting uh, how one of the best things we can do to, I think, improve learning and teaching and education is actually ask young people what they think. And you're, you're really at the heart of that. And I'm sort of curious about your journey is, how did you get involved with education and Project Tomorrow? What was your journey to get to where you are now, where you wrote a book about free agent learning? Yeah, so interesting, Nate. Thank you for asking me. So my background is in the technology industry. So I grew up in the technology industry from a sales and marketing perspective. And then I was with two ed tech startups in the late 90s. Uh, with both of those, we had uh, successful exit strategies. And as part of that work, I was recruited to run what was then called NetDay, which was the predecessor organization of Project Tomorrow. So at first, I was somewhat reluctant uh, because I was a, you know, an ed tech startup person. I wasn't a nonprofit education person. I was on the technology side of things. But what an interesting process it has been to think about 
the future of education through the lens of technology and to be able to apply business practices to that and ways of thinking about uh, different types of outcomes. So I sort of backdoored myself into education from the technology world, uh, but I think it has been really positive to have that sort of a background. Yeah, I, I do think it, it has, um, when we bring diverse perspectives in and diverse backgrounds, I think we all know that the outcome is is better. And, and, and then, so Speak Up is a program. It's a free survey program for anyone in the country that wants to use it, has, who's working with students. How does that fit up with, fit in with the Project Tomorrow mission? I mean, is that, is it one of many things that you do or is it the predominant thing that you do? That's a great question also, Nate. So Project Tomorrow is an education nonprofit group. We're particularly focused in on understanding how to increase school and district leadership capacities to make the very best decisions and improve education for all students with equity as right there in the forefront. As part of that work, we believe strongly in the translation of research into practice. So to walk the talk, we started the Speak Up Research Project, which provides an opportunity for any K-12 school or district in the country to use our uh, online surveys to collect feedback from their students, their teachers, their parents, their administrator, their community members as well. And then to use that data and that knowledge to inform policies, programs, different learning initiatives, different ways of thinking about improving school. We also take the research that we do every year and not only help schools and districts, but share it nationally at conferences, in our reports and in our briefings so that everyone has the opportunity to be informed by the Speak Up data. And then the third part of that is we take what we learn from the Speak Up data and then do some pilot programs. We're currently doing a pilot program, for example, in New York City and also in Michigan around computational thinking integration within the classroom. So that's all derivative of the Speak Up research. So what we learn, we actually use to implement uh, very focused programs and do further study on those to see how other people can implement similar types of new learning models. So really, student voice is informing your path forward almost all the time. Right. So that's a, that's a really powerful piece. Uh, I, sometimes I wonder if the students realize that when they're filling out a survey is that they're actually helping move a more learner-centered, student-centered, agency-filled set of approaches forward. So, okay, so let's, now you've just written a book. Congratulations. Uh, it's out there and we'll put in the show notes how, how our listeners can acquire that book from Amazon or other locations. So free agent learning. You, you obviously have learned something from the, the students that you have been listening to. And so did it all come into this, I guess, what is free agent learning? And did it, did all the data start pointing in this direction as a, such a critical way to head? It was really interesting, uh, Nate. First, I'll give you the definition of free agent learning so our listeners have the context. And then I'll explain to you how we got to this place with free agent learners. Uh, so the way we define free agent learning is that it's an ecosystem in which students are self-directing learning around areas of interest, passion, curiosity, but they're doing it totally on their own outside of school. 
So not teacher sponsored, not teacher facilitated. It isn't for homework. It isn't for school projects. This is something that's coming from their own intrinsic motivation to learn about something. Now, the thing that's interesting about it is that um, students have always done self-directed learning. So if in another era, uh, someone woke up in the morning and said, I wanna learn something about astronomy, and they went to their public library, they would go and try and find a book on astronomy. Now that book may have been there or it might have already been checked out. Or if they went to get the book, maybe they could only have it for two weeks to read and then they would have to return it. What is different today is that technology has enabled students to be free agent learners anywhere, anytime, at any pace or any place. Since students have access to the internet through their smartphones and other devices, they have this opportunity to really self-direct learning anytime they have a curiosity or a passion or an interest. And again, it is outside of school. So it is really being driven by the students themselves in terms of what their interest areas are and what they wanna pursue. And they're in the driver's seat. You know, for today's students, learning is a 24-7 enterprise. I think sometimes in K-12 education, we think of learning as only happening between 8.30 and 2.30. It's really a small part of all of our lives. And for the students, now that they are technology enabled, they have the opportunity to really drive their own educational destiny and not be tethered to education institutions as the only repository of knowledge. So that's what we're seeing as free agent learning, the free agent learnership ecosystem. And it, it came about because as we started Speak Up, our primary focus in the original days, and we started Speak Up in 2003, was to collect feedback from students about their experience of using technology in school. So that was where we started. In having those conversations, and in addition to having the online surveys and collecting all the quantitative data, I always do and have since 2003, do anywhere between 20 to 25 focus groups, panel discussions, one-on-one -on -one interviews with students every year. What kept bubbling up to us was that the students wanted to talk about their use of technology outside of school, even in areas that we would consider under-resourced or maybe on the wrong side of the digital divide or students that are even impacted today by the homework gap. They all wanted to talk about technology use outside of school. So we started to collect some additional data from students about how they were using all these different digital tools and resources in from a learning experience outside of school. And what was really fascinating to us is that these were not two separate worlds as adults think about them, but really one consistent seamless experience that the students were having. And so as they started to talk about not just what they were doing outside of school around learning, but what their aspirations were for improving the learning experience in school, we realized that there was an important connection there that our school and district leaders needed to be more aware of because what the students are doing outside of school is definitely impacting or influencing not only their, their expectations for in-school experiences, but their perceptions about the relevancy of their in-school experiences. 
super interesting. And it makes me think, so from a neuroscience perspective, really humans, maybe with the exception of when they sleep, when they're pruning and, and reorganizing, they're, they're learning every moment that they are awake, right? It, it, and it's just a matter of what they're learning. So you're tapping into this idea that students are, as free agent learners, have more access than ever to learn anything that they want. It's not going to a set of encyclopedias or going to the library. They can, as long as they have a phone and, of course, broadband coverage, which we know still is challenged in some places of the, our country and in the world, they have more access than ever. So, but, but thinking about that outside of the technology access piece, so given that they have access to technology, did you find demographic differences, um, socioeconomic status, race, uh, geographic location between student respondents on whether or not they were more engaged in free agent learning or less engaged? So when we're collecting the data from the students about their types of experiences that they're doing, that we're labeling free agent learners, right? There's no t-shirts out there that kids are wearing that says, I'm a free agent learner, at least not yet. Maybe we need to work. I think you should make one, by the way, and and that would be a great thing. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, But when we looked at it, and there's actually in the book, I talk about the uh, free agent learning topology. So the activity topology, the types of things that students are doing that we're qualifying as free agent learning, and then why they're doing it as well. So when we start to look at some of those activities, we, of course, were curious. So were there differences based on gender? Was there differences if some kids were more tech savvy than others? Did we see differences by community types? Did we see differences in uh, based on home demographics or poverty? Did we see differences based on maybe the students racial, cultural or ethnic identity? We looked at all of that. And again, these are very large data sets. So there was a lot of sampling that could be done over many, many years of data to look at all this. And we saw some differences. So I'll give you an example. Girls are more likely to use social media for self-directed learning than boys are. The boys were more likely to say that they were learning workplace skills from playing or watching online or digital games than the girls were. But when we did all the statistical testing, and this was a very rigorous research process that we do with Speak Up every year anyway, When we looked at it, all those statistical differences were very small. They didn't really amount to anything that was statistically significant. The same thing even when we took a look at whether or not students had high quality or high speed broadband access at home. Even for that, we did not see the differences in either the types of activity or the regularity of the activity. And the reason for that is that when we drill down even deeper into this phenomenon, what we find is that the student's device of choice for their self-directed learning is quite often their smartphone. And so given the pervasiveness of smartphones, not to say that every kid has the latest or greatest, not to say that every kid has a fabulous data plan, but with the greater ubiquity of Wi-Fi connections, even in some challenged communities, at least that students can get to, we actually did not see significant differences that we would look at as sort of the, the usual demographic variables that we would look at. And see, that's a, that I think is a fundamental difference with this phenomenon. 
there's great universality in terms of the students and their free agent learning. And it's based on the fact, and I go back to Daniel Pink on this, that as human beings, we're all curious. We are interested in learning things. And whether it is something as simple as, what's the latest snowboard trick? Or how do I apply eyeliner without poking myself in the eye? These are all learning experiences and many of which the students are engaging with all the time. Yeah, it, uh, I Pink's a great reference here because he talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose, right? So they they have the ability to choose, which you that it, the word agency that that's inherent. Uh, mastery, they're getting better at something. This is why many young people love video games. Uh, and purpose, that it's actually meaningful and it does something. And I think that ties in. There's something about motivation here that's a human condition. So, so I think what it's really interesting that you found so many things in education have uh, demographic differences, as we know, outcome gaps and things like that. But what, what, what I'm hearing you say is that, that, is that um, every young person wants to learn if it's something that's interesting to them, if it's something that they can choose and have a choice. And, and I think that's a really powerful thing because it, it dispels the myth that, oh, this person, this student doesn't like to learn or is not a good learner. It, it's just a matter of maybe what they're learning and how they're learning rather than they are not someone who's interested in learning. And I think that's a really important paradigm for uh, every, all of us in education to be thinking about in this work. So, all right. So, so you're talking a lot about uh, free agent learning as what they do outside of school systems and structures. However, um, as you can imagine, we started to talk a little bit about what, how can this influence in-school structures? Be because if they're more engaged with out-of-school structures and there's, there's uh, very little evidence to suggest there's demographic differences in their engagement uh, and, and how they engage with free agent learning, what are the systems and lessons learned for the in-system program? So we know we have Genius Hour and Passion Projects, which are small little snippets but what else is, are, you, are you thinking about to help schools move and capitalize on this type of learning? Yeah, a, a key component of the book, and, and really the, the motivation for writing the book was to help uh, educators, particularly leaders at the school and district level, system level, understand that they have this incredible asset, which is the voices and views of their students that could be better leveraged to support improving education. Again, particularly around making sure that we're addressing equity. I wrote the book with the idea that, this, that it could be a way for school and district leaders to start thinking about what they can do to incorporate free agent learning into the classroom experience, into the school experience. And very explicitly, chapter 10 of the book identifies 10 things that school and district leaders and teachers can do to start with this integration of free agent learning, to really take advantage of what students are doing outside of school to transform the in-school experience. So I'll start with, with one of these that, that is pretty simple, pretty easy to implement. And I really picked this up from a teacher in Chicago that had had a firsthand experience with understanding that their students were free agent learners. So the idea of a teacher incorporating into their morning routine or the startup procedure in their class, or before we jump into our content, let's have a discussion and ask their students, what did you learn yesterday outside of school on your own? Or what did you learn last night? Has incredible benefits 
that sometimes we don't think about because we're locked into, again, this paradigm where we're thinking the only valid learning happens with a teacher in front of the classroom and students listening. So this idea that a teacher could ask their student, what did you learn last night? Let's have a conversation about it is a way not only for that teacher to respect and show respect for the student's self-directed learning, but also to get to know them as a whole person, to understand what their interests are, to understand what their passions are, what they're curious about, and then be able to incorporate that into instruction. Now we're getting to really the mechanics of personalizing the learning process because it's built around things that students are already doing to personalize their learning. So that's a pretty simple thing. It's not, it doesn't involve um, some changes to structure. It doesn't involve uh, new state compliances or policies. It's something the teacher themselves can do. And, and as I've been talking about this for a while and teachers are starting to do this, they're, they're coming back to me with this feedback that says, oh my gosh, I never realized, and you can fill in the blank, I never realized that my students were so curious about this or that. And it gives a way to really bring that student voice uh, into the conversation. So I think that one can be very powerful. It, it's amazing how something as simple as that, I think it ties uh, into two things. So one is, is that is that uh, the realization that for teachers to recognize, which is is sometimes we forget, is is that that their students are learning all sorts of things. And when when you ask them that question, and I can even imagine uh, when I was in the classroom, I was a high school and middle school teacher, even having a piece of white paper on the wall that I could just make a note of these and just to see where I could tie these pieces in. And then the second piece is is the uh, power full approach where uh, where the learner feels like they matter in that classroom um, and that their background, their context, what they're interested in, and that social emotional piece where they feel that they belong in the classroom, uh, I think can also have a powerful positive effect on learning. So I like that a very simple thing can have two very profound effects on the adults and the learners in the classroom. So, uh, and I imagine that, that there's nine more of those that are just as interesting that, um, that uh, people can find in the book. Yes, absolutely. I love that. I love that component that you brought up, Nate, there about both the student and the teacher benefiting from this. You know, one of the things that, that we've been seeing in the Speak Up research, I talk about in the book as well, is that we make assumptions. We have certain uh, assumptions or conventional wisdom or biases or myths that we hang on to, particularly in education. And one of the ones that, that we're trying to debunk a little bit with our Speak Up research is not only that learning is happening 24-7 for today's students. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Our, our students are not always as engaged in learning as our teachers think they are from a school perspective. And um, what has been fascinating for us to, to document and to report out on is that we actually do have a student engagement crisis in our schools, but it was not caused by the pandemic. It was not caused by school disruptions or remote learning. Uh, we have data that shows that about 50% of our middle school and high school students say that they are engaged in what they are learning most of the time in school. 50% say they are not, and that data precedes the pandemic. 
And so when we think about how are we going to engage our students in the learning process, because we understand the relationship between engagement, learning, student achievement. This idea of incorporating students' own interests, their passions, the things that they're curious about, and respecting that they are active learners, not just in their classroom, but outside of school as well, I think is also a way to get to this engagement issue that we have to try and address this engagement disconnect. Yeah, I really appreciate that you're pointing that out. I think everybody's comparing sort of pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, and the challenges post-pandemic based on what happened. And indeed, there were some real challenges, of course, that both you and I acknowledge. But but school, uh, going back to where we were, where school was prior to the pandemic is not the answer because we've always had engagement uh, issues. If you look at early childhood statistics, early childhood students are engaged a lot. Elementary school students are engaged a little bit less and it declines as they get older and older. And that's through as you're saying, your research, but confirmed across most research. And yet we stick with what we do um, without recognizing that that's a profound piece of data. Only half your students are really engaged. And we wonder why the outcomes aren't where we want them to be. So um, I want to I want to pivot a little bit to thinking about, we've, we talk a lot about transferable skills and the, 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 the types of skills that, that learners need to gain to, to function in the world and to operate well around complex tasks and things like that. Do you have a sense that that to do free agent learning well, there's an explicit set of skills that these students need to become independent learners? Or do you have a sense that given an opportunity that all students will just go with it? Those skills are inherent in them if they're interested in it. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I definitely do. Thanks, Nate. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, we're all curious human beings. And so the students are curious. So they want to learn more about different things. And the, the impetus for that quite often starts during school. So there's a particular unit of study. The teacher covers just what's covered in the curriculum or in their pacing guide or what their standards show, but not follow through. And then the students go home and want to learn more about it. I think that the, you know, the idea of particularly using technology effectively as a learning tool is something that we're actually missing as a teaching opportunity in schools because of the fact that uh, we are using technology in many ways in very constrained or limited, um, uh, with limited methodologies in our school day, we're not necessarily teaching students how to be good researchers or how to be good uh, arbitrators of what is accurate or complete or without bias. So this conversation around information and media literacy skill development is one that I think is really important. Now, many people are talking about it, but they usually talk about it within the context of the school day experience, not the fact that our students need to be able to acquire those types of skills to be effective in their free agent learning. So we're missing an opportunity if we're not helping students develop those type of skills, being good researchers, being um, good media literate uh, participants, in the information consumption process. And then the third piece is content creation. You know, the students talk about the fact that when they are creating content, they see that as a learning process. So that may be creating a video that gets posted up on YouTube. It might be sharing some sort of writing that they wanna get some feedback on. 
And so this idea of are we helping students develop the skills to be good content creators as well actually could support their free agent learning experiences outside of school. That is really interesting. I often think that the the superpower that we need to be teaching young people is media literacy because it's becoming increasingly through technology, increasingly more difficult to determine the bias, the whether or not the source is a good source, et cetera, et cetera, as we know from from what we see in the, the modern world. So I, I think I'm hearing that this idea of media literacy and then also content creation. I hadn't thought about that as much, but if we want, I mean, every young person person has something to offer the world and this idea of teaching them the skills to, to create good content rather than say bad content, either misinformed, uh, uninformed, or just poor quality uh, might help get their message out in a more um, a more facilitated way or a way that's more easy. So I, I, I think that that's really powerful in terms of those the skills. There are some skills. Last question, because uh, we're running out of time. And I, I, I'm thinking about the constraints of schools with at least right now, a set of standards, teachers saying we need to get through this amount of, um, of, of curriculum and content. Uh, how can teachers think about that integrating with the concept of free range learning um, or free agent students. So how, how do we reconcile those two things? You know, it, it starts with us reevaluating what we consider to be valid learning. And I know that's a really hard conversation, but I see as like a fundamental barrier to teachers um, accepting or adopting the concepts of free agent learning is this idea that the only valid learning happens during the school day. We have to expand our minds to realize that the learning experiences that students are having, particularly around skill development, being good critical thinkers, being good problem solvers, learning how to be collaborators, being good communicators, really has to do with a connection into the real world. And what the students are doing is providing us with a model of how to do that effectively. So it doesn't take away from the, the content knowledge acquisition, but it's part of you know, what Tony Wagner talks about in terms of shifting our focus to think more about what students actually need from a skill development standpoint to be successful in the future. And I know it's a hard, it's a hard mind shift to go to that. But if we start in those little baby steps of saying, you know, what students are doing outside of school is valid learning. They are articulating the types of skills that they need and ways to think about, even in very small ways, bringing some of that into the classroom can be ways to make sure that our students are well prepared for the future. I like that. I think it's, I see the tie in is, is whether or not that most teachers have to cover some content and skills and have standards, et cetera. But when we when we incorporate the free agent free agent learning approach um, or philosophy, the students can provide context that makes it relevant for them. They can provide that, that the concept, the conceptual ideas that says, okay, if we're learning this, this is why it matters to me. And here, let me go and look at that because I have the skills to be able to do that. Julie, uh, it's been incredible. Uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot. What's the the most important takeaway for our listeners? Part one, and then part two of our closing is. Is, uh, is there one person or organization that you would like to amplify on for our listeners of a place we can learn more or someone who's doing good work either in this space or in education in general? 
Absolutely. So my takeaway, and this has been my mantra since we started looking at, at this research and started thinking about the student experience, and once again, in particular, the free agent learners, is, you know, our schools and districts quite often start from a place of being resource deficient, right? How can I make this decision? How can I advance this effort? How can I do better to improve learning for all students? And yet right in front of them, this is the thing, Nate, right in front of them is this incredible asset that they're not taking advantage of, which is the ideas and the views and the experiences of their students. You know, remember the days when we used to think, oh my gosh, how scary is this if the teacher doesn't know as much about technology as the student does? Well, I hope we've gone beyond that. And now we have this wonderful opportunity to talk to our students about what experiential learning looks like for them, how they're using the tools that they have outside of school to advance their learning purposefully around career exploration, around their curiosities, around learning skills. We have this incredible asset. And so this is my mantra every day. This is what I'm sitting up on top of the mountain and yelling about. You have an asset. Let's use this asset. Let's really listen to our students. Let's observe what they're doing. Let's respect the learning experiences that they're having outside of school and use that to reflect on what we can do in the classroom to close that engagement gap, to address some of these inequities that we see, and to adequately and satisfactorily prepare every student to be successful in the future. Future. I just think it's a wonderful opportunity that we should be taking advantage of. I love that. I love uh, that. Uh, uh, thinking about the, the learners as assets, students as assets, they have so much to offer. We just have to make sure that we ask and inquire and recognize it. Someone that you want to amplify. So I was thinking about uh, when you asked me that, and the, there's one particular person that comes to mind. And I just know that uh, it may be someone you've already amplified, maybe someone the audience is already familiar with. If not, I hope that you will uh, pay attention to the work of this individual. But when I get uh, an email, and you know, we all get lots of emails, right? You get emails all the time, or you see a posting, or you got on a listserv or something. The one that I open every single time because it pushes my thinking to new places is anything written by Thomas Arnett from the Christensen Institute. Mm -hmm. I open that every single time. And at the end of it, I always feel like I have learned something, that I have had a new perspective put in front of me, that I have the opportunity to think differently about our work that we're doing because of some idea that Tom has advanced. So it may be someone, as I said, that's already familiar, but I would give a shout out to Tom Arnett. Uh, thank you for that. We are we are fans and supporters of the Christensen Institute for sure, uh, and, and love their work as well. Let me, let me try to summarize what I learned today because I am a consummate learner. So number one, just a good reminder that at least with your data, and I think so reported by other data, is that middle school and high school students, only 50% of them are, are, are engaged, and the rest aren't engaged. And, and that should tell us something. And that's not because of the pandemic. It's, it's persistent in the history of, uh, of our educational systems. A second thing is, is that all students, not just some students, but all students are free agent learners. So everybody, all these people have this skill that is ready to be tapped into. Uh, and what you're doing a call out on is saying, People, listen, we've got to make sure that this can happen because this is how students are going to learn more. Uh, third thing is, and, and this is just from your organization in general, is 
every school and district should be asking students what they think about the learning experience frequently. I really think too, many, too few do that. And we would learn so much from that. Fourth, uh, the, the idea that motivation connects to, to free agent learning is that the reason it works is because students are motivated to do it. They have autonomy, they have mastery, purpose. Uh, I love the simple first thing that you, you recommended for teachers saying, just ask, what did your students learn? Every morning, start with it. What did your students learn? And pretty soon you're gonna learn a lot about your students and also have a little bit more direction about contextualizing uh, the teaching that you're doing. And then finally, I, I am intrigued. It's a little bit of, if, if I'm on the, the, the top of a mountain screaming, it's around this media liber literacy work is that, is that young people need to develop superpowers in understanding and creating media that is uh, uh, good, strong, and verified works so that there, there, there's too much media out there that is not interpreted uh, that way because people aren't scrutinizing it enough. And so we have to have young people uh, develop those skills. So Julie, really appreciate uh, all that you have offered to the world with your book and your, your organization. Um, where can listeners get more information if they would like? Well, to find out more about Project Tomorrow, please come visit us at tomorrow.org. Now, that's an easy URL for everyone to remember, tomorrow.org. Come and visit us there. You will find a lot of our speak up research is there as well. So the reports, the infographics, the briefings we do. And also if a school or district wants to participate in the speak up surveys, you can do that every year. They're actually currently open for schools and districts to use. It's a free service that we provide to help you really be able to leverage that asset that you have of the voices of your stakeholders. Uh, that's fantastic. To all the listeners out there, we'll put uh, a lot more information in the show notes, including links to Julie's new book. And again, Julie, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate the work that you do and uh, the power of the, the change you're trying to make for young people. So thank you so much for, for uh, having the conversation with me today. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. 